Welcome listeners, this is Pat and Rod Save the World, I'm Roderick Makem. I'm Pat Brown. It's the week ending 6 December 2014 and today we have three topics. Um, as usual, the first is uh, a bit of economic news about the uh, strengthening American economy and the faltering Chinese one. The second topic uh, is going to be about the uh, the end of the Hong Kong protests, or at least the end of this stage of the Hong Kong protests, um, with uh, a number of the uh, of the protest leaders sort of voluntarily surrendering themselves to uh, to police. And lastly, we're going to talk about. Um, censorship in both its private and public forms. Yeah, uh, what are the sort of similarities and differences there? Yeah, uh, there's uh, been some interesting news on that over the past week. Yeah, there has. So, uh, economic indicators in the so-called two engines of the world economy. Yeah, um, I was uh, I was reading a uh, an article in uh, in Fortune this week um, that was yeah touching on this this sort of topic. Uh, and they were talking about how things are actually going pretty well in the American economy right now. Uh, you know, monthly job growth in um, uh, this year is growing faster than it has at any point in the financial crisis, um, and overall economic growth um, is uh, is growing by about four uh, percent, which is you know pretty much as well as uh, as America has been has has uh, has gone since the GFC. Uh, meanwhile. Uh, China and uh, sort of other developing economies are, um, are their growth is is slowing. You had some uh, you had some figures on China, didn't you? I did. So China has a growth rate of seven point five percent that they aim to sustain. Um, that's in GDP, gross domestic product terms, um, and their last quarter growth was seven point three percent. Yeah. So that's slightly below what they're aiming for. And I would say because the Chinese government's not necessarily the most trustworthy statistical repository, that they might well be well beneath it. Yeah. Well, I mean, for most of the last decade, they were, they, you know, uh, were talking about figures of, uh, of 10% growth and things like that. Um, and so getting down even to 7.5 is, uh, is a significant downturn. Um, it is. And the real concern with China right now is the property market. So, for instance, the Wall Street Journal recently reported that a Chinese study um, found that in 2013, 22.4% of houses in China's urban areas were vacant, which was up from 20.6% in 2011. So it's pretty clear that there's a major sort of glut of housing and a population that's changing quickly demographically in the sense that the number of working age people, those who typically buy houses, is going to decrease quite quickly over the next few years owing to the one child policy. Yeah. Um, so a lot of pe people have pointed to the fact that Japan had actually a similar problem with a huge real estate boom and then a turnaround in demographics that contributed to a complete property bust. Yeah. So the question is, is that going to happen in China? And, uh, and if that does happen in China, uh, what's that going to mean for other economies around the world that are heavily reliant on, uh, on Chinese business, um, exports, investment, that kind of thing? Yeah. And so I think if you're talking about a great financial crisis, 
and this is what the article that you read earlier on in the week um, posited. Yeah. What was that article and where was it? Oh, I can't even remember now, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, the, uh, the one I read this morning was in Fortune, but I can't remember. It might have been, uh, been the Herald or the Guardian or something right. like that. Um, I think it's overblown to say that there might be a new GFC um, because the great financial crisis was really a financial crisis, not an economic crisis. And in 2008, it looked like many of the major global US-based financial institutions could go out of business and thus completely seize up the market for, for credit lending. Um, just uh, just wanted to, to cut in there for a second. Sure. Um, and you, uh, you have a much better uh, knowledge of economic matters than I do. But I was just interested in uh, what exactly is the difference between a financial crisis and an economic crisis considering it uh, when you get down to the ground level, old matey who's just lost his job probably doesn't care what the difference is. No, he probably doesn't. Um, I suppose though they call it a financial crisis because it began in the financial sector. Yeah. Um, now, if you have a crisis that begins in, the, in an, a more mainstream economic sector like property um, that's not connected directly with finance, then I suppose... You wouldn't call that a financial crisis, even though they're closely linked in the sense that the great well, financial... Well, yeah, they certainly were linked very closely in the... Yeah, in the GFC. great financial crisis, the problem really was subprime lending. Um, but that was, you know, I draw a distinction because that was financial institutions really making an enormous number of mistakes rather than just pure speculation, although there was a lot of that. So I take your point. They're closely related regardless. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't call this one a financial crisis per se. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the possible impending economic crisis in China, I suppose there's an interesting parallel because for there to be enormous economic problems, you have to have a great many people walking around who are richer or they feel richer than they actually are. Yeah. And in America, that was really the huge US institutions that were doing the lending, thinking that they had insurance over what were called credit default swaps, which was basically a fancy financial product that allowed you to um, uh, insure the risk of mortgage defaults. And there was a great deal more in the way of mortgage default than they expected. Mm -hmm. And the people who had insured those mortgage defaults weren't in a position to cover it. And so that's what could have torpedoed the yeah. entire system. And in this case... Well, you just quickly, you also had all the, uh, all the residents buying up uh, McMansions and uh, ridiculous things that they couldn't afford. Absolutely. Uh, but they, they, all thought they, were, they all thought they were rich. They did, <laughs> yeah. So it was like the fire started in subprime lending yeah. with egregiously bad behaviour. But there was sort of tinder to really get it going into a forest fire because everyone else had just assumed that property prices would never go down. And lots of institutions and individuals had proceeded on that assumption for years before, which was obviously not accurate. Now, in this case, the Chinese have been booming. I guarantee you there are, there are you know, literally tens of millions of people in China who have proceeded on the assumption that there's no way they could lose money on their property investments. Yeah. And the question is, well, what's the knock-on effect from that? Yeah. And this is a far less mature economy. So I would argue that the scope for something like subprime, where you, are, you have 
financial institutions lending to people who really should not be lent money is far greater. Because I don't know about you, but my understanding of Chinese business is that paper trails are perhaps inferior even to those of the American banks. <laughs> so the scope for sort of huge problems to erupt suddenly from underneath the sort of barrage of paper that's produced during economic activity is greater. So I, for one, am a little bit bearish. Yeah. Uh, and um, thought just occurred to me when we're talking about these sort of growth numbers and things that it might seem a little strange that... Uh, um, we're talking about, uh, or not us, but well, we are talking about it now, but there are economists and things talking about, oh, China's economy uh, looks like it's in a bit of trouble. They're only at 7.3% growth, whereas the same people are talking about how well America is going when they're down at 4% growth. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's... Not to mention the Eurozone's 0.3% growth in yeah. the last quarter. Um, but I mean, uh, I think the, the point that they're making is... Uh, that you know, China's is on a downward trend at the moment. Mm. Um, down, it's well, well, certainly down. Like again, for the last growth month, is for, downward, yeah, but yeah. that means there's still lots of growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as in they're, they're down from the ten percent growth of the two thousands and uh, mid nineties. Yeah, it's um, a slowing. Yeah, yeah. The question is, I mean, what does the Chinese economy look like at naught? 0.2% growth. Yeah, if it, want, if it was sort of European levels. Yeah, um, you wonder whether or not they'd even be able to sustain the, the social structure that they have because the Chinese basically, the reason they pegged economic growth, the, the economic growth target at 7.5% is because that's what they consider to be the amount required to stop unrest yeah. in society, <laughs> to facilitate the peaceful rise of the country. And maybe, I mean, in 10 years, we might point and laugh at 7.5% as a target growth rate and just consider that that was an utterly unrealistic goal set in a huge boom that didn't bear out over the long term. Maybe, I mean, because 7.5% growth at compound interest is just, that's enormous amount of growth. Um, And I'm not in a position to know how much of the Chinese economy is actually modernised at this point to know whether or not that's realistic going into the future. But the real worry is the property market. And just anecdotally, I read a funny story about the ridiculous gimmicks that Chinese property developers are resorting to to try and shift their ever-increasing glut of inventory. One guy decided that he was going to give free chickens away to whoever made an appearance at a property auction. And apparently the property auction was rather marred by the ensuing <laughs> scramble for free chickens. <laughs> and uh, the aftermath basically uh, was an empty auction house, some lost uh, shoes and feathers. <laughs> After everyone who'd shown up to grab the chickens had departed, there actually there was no one there to buy the property. <laughs> So just anecdotally, it's a good indicator that perhaps things aren't working out there for real estate speculators as they would hope. And um, and it's not just uh, the Chinese economy either. I don't have the exact figures in front of me, um, but the Russian economy, which is uh, a very large one as well, Mm -hmm. uh, with particular um, knock-on effects to uh, to Europe in... um, they're, uh, by all accounts, tanking pretty badly at the moment. Yeah, so that's the other interesting uh, effect here is that because of the slowing in China, 
um, there, well, not only because of that, but there has been a huge drop in the price of oil. Yeah, I mean, about 40% or, uh, or close enough to. Yeah, so, I mean, that is such a huge, yeah. huge, huge drop. Other commodities like iron ore uh, mm. tumbling rapidly as well. Mm. Um, and that's having a knock-on effect to the share market. Um, I read this week. I don't have. I don't know how much. Uh, just the Australian share market closed down this week, but it was a fair bit. Um, so the the weird thing about commodity prices is you never know how much of the price is speculative increase from the real market value. And now because the prices have tumbled, you don't know how much of it is speculative shorting yeah. of the commodities that's causing the price drop. It's kind of hard to get a peg when you've got all these institutional players buying up the commodities uh, to, to get a sense of what the real price actually is if it was stable. But probably there's no such thing as a stable price anymore. But the interesting knock-on of the reduced price of oil is that the American economy is improving. Yeah. And they've got a lot of people who depend on oil. So you're going to have a lot of Americans with more money in their pocket owing to lower fuel costs and an improving economy. Yeah. And that in of itself will have further knock-on effects. So it's really too early to tell how the relationship between the American positive news and the Chinese troubles will, will play out. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, the Fortune article I was reading was basically make, making the argument that while the American economy uh, is improving and um, is you know doing as well as it has since the GFC, it's still not strong enough to basically stand alone. If um, if there's a major recession in uh, in China and other countries like uh, like Russia and that sort of thing, uh, Europe will crash because Europe have not recovered from the GFC. Um, and uh, and if the rest of the world goes down, then America isn't strong enough to drag it out. America will go down as well, and yeah. that will be the um, uh, that will be the the global recession again. Uh, I don't know. I, the name didn't ring a bell to me, but uh, David Levi, economist and chairman of uh, Jerome Levi Forecasting Center, was uh, saying a sixty five percent chance of a global recession by the end of two thousand and fifteen. Wow. Okay. And then I suppose the, the question in terms of the Asian economies, if they do take a hit, is how exposed are large institutions in the West to that? I mean, there are a lot of people who have pegged a lot of their fortune to Chinese fortune by making large investments into that country. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and then, of course, you have this lurking problem of uh, government debt, where you have particularly European countries with um, they're paying enormous amounts of interest on what should be very low interest government bonds. So there's also that kind of spectre hovering off in the distance. And you wonder how many of those things might really um, get much worse if the Chinese have trouble. So it's an interesting topic, and I mean, neither of us are economists. We're no. both very inexpert so far as this stuff is concerned, but there's cause for real worry, it seems. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't have to be an expert to um, to know that your uh, a lot of your life and your you know uh, options for um, for things to do with your life depend on depend very largely on how the economy is going. Um, yeah, so. The second topic we were going to talk about was uh, Hong Kong, the Hong Kong protests, yeah. and the kind of fading 
the gradual fading, it seems, of that entire initiative. Yeah, well, I mean, it uh, certainly faded very, uh, uh, very abruptly from international news coverage. Um, for, uh, I mean, they've been going on for two months, um, or had been going on for two months, and um, and in the last couple of weeks, uh, were raging just as. Uh, um, uh, just as strongly as they were in the opening weeks where it was, you know, on every headline. Uh, but, you know, for about a month and a half there, you just kind of stopped hearing about it. Um, but, uh, but anyway, uh, in terms of uh, the news this week, um, you know, the founders of the, uh, of the Occupy movement, uh, I think it was on Wednesday, surrendered to, um, surrendered to police. Um, and... Uh, Sorry, I lost my train of thought completely there. Yeah, so they surrendered to police and um, voluntarily, apparently. Yeah. And I think what you've got is uh, it's too early to call the end on this movement. They will, I think, have a real impact over the next few years. But the their, their activity as an occupying force in the streets of Hong Kong seems to be over. Yeah. There are a great number of um, Hong Kong court injunctions that are forbidden, forbidding their occupation of strategic streets and roads. And the simple fact is that two-thirds of people in Hong Kong are now against them occupying public spaces as they have been. So yeah. they've lost By the way, I, um, I forgot to ask earlier, what, um, uh, where did that figure come from? Was it a... That came from a Reuters article okay. um, that I read. And um, I think that this is a really interesting sort of generational story where the older people really want order and stability and the younger people are tired of um, being dictated to by Beijing. Yeah. And in some sense, that really reflects the dilemma for Chinese society uh, at large because people have been willing to surrender their democratic rights or rights that you ordinarily have in a democracy for the sake of stability and economic growth. And at least this generation of people in Hong Kong does not seem to be willing to make that deal. And the question is, does that view of the younger people in Hong Kong reflect a wider societal trend for both Hong Kong and China over the next few decades where people aren't going to be willing to make that trade-off? Uh, I suspect not. You don't think so? Um, That's an interesting thing. Yeah, just, uh, it's, you know, purely anecdotal for me. I don't have any facts, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have any sort of like figures or, or research to back it up. But just, um, while I was at uni, one of the things I studied was international relations. Uh, and we had a few, uh, uh, you know, students who came to, to Australia from People's Republic of China. Mm -hmm. um, and they were studying international relations in Australia. And they were all very pro uh, Chinese government, and these are young, well-educated, rich Chinese. Um, yeah, but keep in mind, though, that that's not necessarily... And I know that you heavily caveated what you're about yeah. to say, but they were rich, right? Yeah. And that usually is an indicator of government connection. Yeah. So arguably what you're talking about are a bunch of kids whose families have done very nicely out of uh, government connections and are therefore not going to be critical of it. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, but, um, 
not just them, but like every student in China since I think it was 91 or 92 have been through the patriotic education campaign. Um, I'm not aware of this. Can you explain that to me and our illustrious oh, okay. listeners? Um, uh, well, it's it was basically something brought in to ensure that uh, Tiananmen Square never happened again. Um, Holy fuck, I have no idea about this. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, it was basically like since uh, a complete overhaul of the education system in the country um, where from whatever the equivalent of kindergarten through every year of schooling um, has the, uh, the main point of um, teaching you what a great place China is and how you should love it. Um, and also, I suppose, not dissent too significantly from the powers yeah. that be. Um, and I, um, I just, uh, I remember one kid at uh, at uni in particular. I can't remember what his name was, but we were, um, we were doing a subject, and it touched on Tiananmen Square. Right. Um, and this was a kid, early twenties, um, and he was he was just outraged um, that uh, that we were learning about Tiananmen Square and we weren't learning the facts. Um, that uh, it was a bunch of, uh, it had been, it wasn't a widespread thing at all. It was a bunch of US back troublemakers. Um, and um, and he got really super offended and just, and he, he'd do that whenever anything came up that was remotely negative about China at all. And I was just like, oh, so that's what the patriotic education campaign has done. Um, yeah, and we are subject to our own kind of oh, patriotic definitely. Um, education campaign, part of which is to, um, uh, I'm sure in many ways, make us more sceptical than perhaps we otherwise would be of the Chinese government. Um, certainly I remember learning about Tiananmen Square in primary school and I remember being you know, sort of, that was what I knew about China, that mm. they'd had Tiananmen Square. And that was not a good image. In, I mean, that's a very incomplete image of China to, to yeah. have maintained in my head over a long period of time until I learned a bit more about the place. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say that we're equally guilty, but certainly we're on the spectrum of propagandizing school students. Um, although we're not as crazy as the Americans with the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and all that yeah. bullshit. Dear God, do we have to have allegiance to lines on maps? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I know that I've sounded that note a number of times in podcasts, but honestly, in a few hundred years, I can't imagine that people still think that this idea of emotional connection to nation states will make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> I think it might be considered a little bit like having an emotional connection with your local post office. Um, yes, it fulfills a function, but no, this is not something that's worthwhile going and killing or dying for. <laughs> anyway, Sorry. we've got a bit off track from uh, from Hong Kong. <laughs> well, I just think that like I'm super conscious of criticising other countries and I like to try and be self-aware and kind of like basically it is worthwhile drawing attention to where you might be doing the equivalent thing in your context in respect of the thing that you're criticising them about. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a bugbear of mine. I, when, when I criticise someone, 
my next thought is usually now am I doing that in any way whatsoever? <laughs> Maybe um, I'll just point out the it's uh, something that probably won't interest too many people, so I'll keep it brief. But just on the subject of uh, patriotism in education, there's been the history wars, what's called the history wars in Australia, um, and it's just uh, basically uh, right wingers in Australia being outraged that. Um, uh, history as it's taught to Australian students doesn't do a good enough job of, te uh, of uh, teaching them to love Australia and how great the place is, that it's, um, they're angry that people, that uh, history teachers want to uh, push the negative aspects of Australian history as they see it. Um, mm. Anyway, which I don't think you'd be getting from the patriotic education campaign. No, no. I mean, the Americans have the equivalent. Um, the idea of not having not having a football team called the Redskins has only recently occurred to them as something that might not be <laughs> that cool. Um, it's kind of the equivalent of... Oh, us. You've, and you've still got many people wanting to defend it to the death. Of course. I mean, Fucking I can't even morons. think of... Like, what would the equivalent be in Australia with our Indigenous people? Uh, I mean, a, a cricket team called the Curries? Like... Well, I mean, there isn't really a, a, like a sporting equivalent in Australia. No, I mean, we certainly yeah. don't have... I'm just wondering what it would be if we did. Uh, um, because curry is what they call themselves, so it's probably not the right analogy. You right. need to think of like a slang term for Aborigines, which frankly I don't feel comfortable using, <laughs> and call a football team that. Um, anyway. Anyway, back to Hong Kong for a moment. Back to Hong Kong. <laughs> back to the people with the patriotic yeah. education campaign, which I'm fascinated Well, I'm about. not sure if that's in Hong Kong, though. Uh, that's why I'm saying I'm not sure, like because it's definitely been in, in mainland China. Yeah. Uh, and back to the point we were making, well, I don't think that... You know, the upcoming generation in mainland China is going to have these similar uh, views on um, uh, democracy and self determination that um, the next generation in Hong Kong has. I think what's also fascinating about this Hong Kong movement is that our kind of our student led uh, protest movements in the West tend to be countercultural. Yeah. In the sense that. Recently, it's been sort of very anarchist and libertarian. Um, in the 60s, it was connected with hippiedom. Um, but in Hong Kong, not at all countercultural, um, in the sense that these kids are incredibly concerned with presenting themselves as productive citizens yeah. who are interested in getting themselves a good education, contributing to society as it currently stands, but with the caveat that they want more in the way of democratic rights. Yeah. And I think it, it sort of uh, goes on to, you know, what might be the next interesting stage of these protests, and that is uh, you were mentioning, uh, I can't remember which article uh, you would, uh, you'd read this from, about them uh, maybe putting candidates up themselves for... The 2016 elections. Yeah. Yes, that's considered to be the next step because they seem to acknowledge that the game is over so far as occupying streets is concerned. Yeah, and I think that's a, uh, a super good idea for them. Um, because, yeah. you know, if those if the, the polls that we were talking about earlier with, you know, two-thirds uh, of people sort of against the protests at this point in Hong Kong, yep. I mean, that's all that, like a third of the country on your side is an incredible uh, sort of baseline support when you start talking about, a you know, candidates it for is. elections. Because certainly uh, more than one-third of people will be in favour of the ideas, if not the methods. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, as in, um, I wouldn't be prepared to, you know, put a figure on it, um, not having, 
you know, being there and, and you know, get, having much of an idea of exactly what people are thinking in the country. Um, but if it's a third of people in favour of what the, um, uh, the Occupy protesters have been doing, um, there would have to be, I think, a substantial number of people in that, t in that other two-thirds who like the idea of what these, uh, like the idea behind what these guys have been doing, um, but uh, just don't like the methods of shutting down streets, damaging the economy, etc., etc. And, you know, if they had an option of voting for one of these guys for, a, um, yeah, uh, for some position of power, then we'll take that and suddenly your one-third support very easily gets up into a, um, uh, a slight majority, if not more. Um, yeah, so the issue is, though, is that the Chinese do have a lot of influence over the democratic process that, itself yeah, to the which extent is, that it exists. Which is why the protest uh, really began in the first place, was that the uh, Chinese uh, authorities insisting that candidates for the, for the election must be vetted by a loyalist committee. Um, mm. and, um, and, you know, demonstrators, uh, thought, oh, well, that'll just ensure the election of a sort of pro-Beijing stooge. Um, and that's what sort of kicked it all off in the first place. Ah, stooge. stooge. The word it's stooge. a great word, isn't it's it? It's not used enough stooge. in current news commentary <laughs> at all. I, I really like stooge as a word. Um, well, dude, I think we should move on to our third yeah. topic, which is, um, censorship, both government and to the extent that private, private citizens like can yeah. enforce it uh, private. So, Like it's almost a, a new concept. Or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so what sort of kicked, uh, you know, kicked this off for, um, for us this week is, uh, is a couple of things. Firstly, in Australia, um, uh, stores uh, Target and Kmart um, have basically been pressured into taking the video game Grand Theft Auto uh, was it five? I can't. I don't, yeah, I don't even know what instalment yeah. it is. I, I'm not a gamer. Um, off the shelves um, uh, because of people uh, protesting and signing petitions uh, because of its misogynistic, uh, you know, torture and killing of uh, of women. Um, is there torture and killing of women? Uh, I wouldn't know. I haven't played the game. But Frankly, it wouldn't surprise me. As in, I, I, I don't, from one article I read, it was like, well, it's it's nothing that you can't do to any character in the game. Like you, you start oh, well, like not so much torture, but just like you know, uh, you you gain health points by beating people up or something. Sure, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the other interest. So that's an example where you have a bunch of private citizens getting together, signing petitions and private companies caving to their demands. Yeah. But there's been a parallel story in the news this week about the British government uh, banning certain types of pornography in the UK. Yeah. Um, so, also, sorry, the UK government. Now, yeah. the interesting thing is what they've actually banned. And what it seems to be is a moral judgment about what is and is not proper sex. <laughs> so, um, as an example of what they have banned, um, female ejaculation is one that has been banned. Which is an odd sort of Well, considering that male ejaculation yeah. has not been banned, yeah. and the sort of graphic portrayal and, uh, I don't know, activities surrounding the ejaculation, 
like obviously from the male perspective, that's not being banned. Yeah. But from the female perspective, it's weird. The, yeah. it, it has been banned for females. Like I, I can't help but wonder how they came up with that decision. Yeah. Um, so they've also, though, they have forbidden various sort of um, pornography based on female dominance, like face-sitting, verbal abuse, and object penetration, as I'm reading from an article. And, you know, I'm sure I can leave it up to the uh, audience's imagination to figure out what I'm talking about. Um, so what a lot of people have said is that not only is it ridiculous that the government is doing this censorship, but that the censorship is um, seems to be focused on um, eliminating sex-centred-on female empowerment. And I don't think that we're particularly interested in that topic. No, um, but I, like yeah, more I, the censorship yeah. in the first place. I, I'm more, yeah, I'm more interested in the ideas of uh, public versus private censorship, and how the how one I think is going to be far more uh, successful, and we're going to see far more of it. Um, oh, just I think actually, what's also interesting here is that it's um, they've outlawed BDSM. So any kind of, quote, spanking, caning, aggressive whipping, uh, physical or verbal abuse, whether consensual or not, is uh, outlawed. So are they going to ban the, uh, what were those terrible books? The um... Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. So this is a video pornography. Okay, so it's only, okay. I wasn't sure if it was going to relate to uh, sort of written pornography, I guess. And interestingly um, enough, um, uh, urination and waterworks, as it's commonly known, has been banned. <laughs> so just for all of those out there who are involved in the pornography industry who've not received this news flash, uh, that's a list of things that you're not able to put in your porn anymore. In the UK. In the UK. Um, so these are some interesting... I mean, just this idea of censorship in the first place, yeah. I think is an interesting one to discuss globally, whether it be private or public. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, uh, the UK porn example is... What people typically think of when they think of censorship, the government stepping in and sort of, you know, imposing moral standards uh, on the general populace um, with the, with the uh, you know, all the strength and apparatus of the state to back them up. Um, and it's, uh, you know, something that uh, I think people have a lot easier time arguing against uh, than the sort of more recent phenomenon of what I'm calling uh, private censorship, which mm. is the, the GTA example this week in Australia. Yeah, so my own opinion on this is that I don't really care about the GTA example. Yeah. I think that it's ridiculous to get exercised about what a video game has in it. At the same time, though, if you do get exercised and you want to start an online petition to stop major retailers selling it, I say good luck to you. Yeah. Um, and that's your right. And it's also the right of the retailers to take it off the shelves if they feel sufficient pressure. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I was, uh, I was interested when I heard you say that because you are a, um, a, a free speech fundamentalist. fundamentalist. Avowedly. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and in a sense, I saw that, um, you know, the people... Uh, campaigning against GTA, and again, I don't play the game. I don't give a real. Sh I don't give a shit about it. Um, but I saw, in a sense, that they were using free speech to, in a sense, limit free speech. Mm. But yeah, I understand that you could consider that a limitation. But it's 
a limitation that's imposed by private actors yeah. on their own activity. That's really the distinguishing yeah. point. It's so not at the barrel they, of a gun. It's yeah. not we're going to put you in a fucking cage if you say what you think, which is really what worries me. Yeah. Um, it is just private individuals making decisions about what they do and don't want to sell and what they think that large retailers should or should not be selling. Yeah. So I just don't see the problem with it because yeah. there's well, always this going is... to be another place you can buy the game. And that's a fair enough point. It's why I think that this, uh, you know, get up model because it, uh, the site that we you know the petition came from was uh, getup.org or .com. oh was it get up yeah. that did it yeah right okay um, that's kind of an, a left leaning australian uh, activism website yeah and i think uh, i think you know exactly the reason why you were saying you don't really have a problem is is why we're going to see a lot more of that sort of censorship in future than the traditional government model censorship because this model is going to be more successful. I think, it, yeah, absolutely. And it's not monopolistically successful, but it does reduce the availability of the game. Yeah. Um, but I just, you know, if it doesn't have the force of the state, I see no problem with it. And I think my own personal view on this is that the internet's become something of an outrage machine yeah. where people whip each other into frenzies. Um, to pardon the BDSM pun, <laughs> and uh, get exercised about things together that perhaps they would not have been exercised about had they not known that everyone was exercised about it. There's this kind yeah. of outrage bandwagon phenomenon where someone oh, will write a, a blog post and then everyone else leaps aboard and gets yeah. outraged and offended and about I think, it. And I think private companies are getting to the point where they are cognizant of that and worried about it. And so they will, at the first sign of that uh, sort of trouble brewing, hmm. they will drop whatever the offending product is Well, it's just not like worth that. their while. Exactly. And it's a fascinating thing to, because intuitively you would think that they'd become less sensitive to it over time. Hmm. They say, oh, just another, but apparently it's, they don't have this view that it's just another petition. Well, yeah. They've seen enough viral campaigns yeah. that they're terrified that something could become much larger than it currently is. And that's a really interesting thing to make decisions based on. I think uh, the most ridiculous example of that that I've seen was earlier this year in Australia, um, the uh, the chain of Aldi supermarkets um, had a... Um, were, had a line on Roald Dahl books. Mm. Uh, one in particular was Roald Dahl's Revolting Rhymes, right. um, which was one of my uh, favourite childhood books when I was a little kid. Um, and, uh, and there was one Facebook post, one single Facebook post of a mother who hadn't actually bought the book, uh, hadn't read the book. Um, she was at a neighbour's place. Mm. Uh, her neighbour had bought it for their children, for you know, her neighbour's kids. Mm. Um, and while she had a flick through it, came across the, uh, the Cinderella uh, story in Roald Dahl's Revolting Rhymes in which a unhinged homicidal Prince Charming in the process of uh, killing the ugly stepsisters uh, calls Cinderella a slut. <laughs> They're fantastic. Go and read Roald Dahl's Revolting Rhymes if you had. Um, <laughs> Uh, buy them for your children. Yeah. Um, so there's something and, about... And, yeah, and so this one Facebook post uh, was enough for Aldi to drop those books like a hotcake. 
presumably because they were worried about it snowballing into something a, a lot bigger. Um, yeah, and that's a weird thing because virality is such a hit and miss thing. Yeah, it's impossible to know what will and won't go viral. Yeah, so you have this phenomenon where people in super targeted ways can stop large institutions behaving in a way that risks a viral response, even if they just kept doing what they were doing, and it, you know, every, there's every chance actually that it wouldn't go viral, but. Yeah. The risk of it going viral is enough for them to stop the behaviour, even though there's only a few dozen people outraged about something. And look, my my own view on this is if you've got enough spare minutes in the day to spend them writing outrage posts about something on Facebook, good luck to you. <laughs> I will not follow you or read the shit that you write, but you know that's your right. And I think you've got too many hours in the day, obviously. <laughs> that said, I'm also cognizant of the fact that I'm, uh, you know, a six foot two white male and I might not understand things that people get outraged enough about to write shit on the <laughs> internet about so you know I, I get that I might not be the target demographic of the outrage <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, there, there's not all that many uh, outrage topics that you know we are the targets of uh, no, there's we're, 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 has there been an we're, outrage? We're, we're aware of our privilege in that sense. Has there been um, an outrage topic where you were actually you went, yeah, Jesus, how did that get out there? What were they thinking? I'm exercised a bit. I can't think of a single one. Uh, well, I mean, I've been outraged um, over the um, uh, you know the deaths of Eric Garner and um, you know the failure of the grand jury to indict. Uh, Darren Wilson and that kind of thing over the past couple of weeks, mm. um, and I, you know, as a as a white Australian guy, I don't have any connection to the black community in America um, beyond the sense of shared humanity and being outraged over, you know, terrible things happening to people who don't deserve it. Yeah, I suppose um, what I'm saying though is like, have either of us been outraged by something? What I get sort of annoyed about is people being outraged about something someone has said. Hmm. So that's kind of what I was talking about. Okay, so. I should have specified that. So when a dude dies, yeah. yeah, okay, I can see why you get outraged about that. I mean, that's definitely something that affects me too. What I suppose I'm talking about is I've never been outraged at something that amounts to just someone talking, or no. expressing themselves. Yeah. You know, whether that be Roald Dahl in his books, whether <laughs> oh, that be even if it's a, a comedian on stage saying oh, something insulting. Yeah. If it's a left-wing academic writing an article about how terrible white males are, I couldn't give a shit. Yeah. And I've read a couple of articles like that. I was like, yeah. Because a lot of the outrage <laughs> seems... Uh, like, you, you go right ahead. Um, a lot of the outrage seems to be centred on people's uh, people expressing themselves. Yeah. Um, one way or another. Um, so I draw a distinction between that and, you know, protest movements about the things that happen, especially when someone's dead. Uh so, now, to get to sort of this instance of banning various kinds of pornography in the UK, mm -hmm. um, I think that that's just fucking outrageous. Government should stay out of the bedroom, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, they should stay out of the filmed bedroom as well. That's basically my opinion. Would you agree on that? Uh, with limits. With limits? Snuff films, for instance. Yeah, but wouldn't the criminal law take care of that? That's true. 
So the question is, and this is where you get to this really very true, interesting yeah. discussion about, but well, what about yeah. fake snuff films? Snuff yeah. films, snuff films. By the way, for any of you who've um, not come across the term, means films. It's like sex and killing the woman. Oh, I think so. I think I, that that's what it's supposed I'm just trying, to be. What was that terrible Nicolas Cage movie that was about it? Um, I can't I, remember. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think. Uh, I think I saw it. I think it was uh, in high school. And God, it was a terrible movie. But I mean, I'd go so far as to say that I'm okay with snuff films. And Nicolas Cage was terrible in it. <laughs> Would you ban snuff films that are fake, that aren't real, that only simulate the killing of a woman during a sexual act? Yeah, I would. You would? Yeah. So I'm not interested in the government banning that either. And that's why I'm basically a free speech fundamentalist. Um, I think that provided that no one's actually harmed, that there's zero reason that that couldn't be considered an art form of some kind for some people. It's obviously not what floats my boat, but I don't care if it does other people. And you've got to ask yourself the question, um, whether or not, say for instance, spoiler alert on Gone Girl, yeah. whether or not the killing of the guy by the girl in a sexual context, I mean, can we call that snuff? It seems in many ways to superficially fit the definition, the killing of a person during, during a sexual sex act. act. Yeah. And so the question is... That was on film for people to see. It was, <laughs> yeah. And I mean... I understand. I hadn't actually considered that, but yes, in the uh, in the strict yeah. sense of the term, in the movie Gone Girl, there is a snuff scene. Well, <laughs> you would know. I mean, I don't think you'd classically call it yeah, snuff well, okay, because a simulated because the guy doesn't actually die. It's a movie. But more um, importantly, the guy is the victim, not the girl. So I think that the question is, if in a movie, like I can't think of a movie where there's a. Sex I, I don't think it's limited. I think you have. I think there are. I don't think it's limited to just girls dying in... All right. I mean, I thought that that was the majority of it. Well, I think the majority of porn is, is, uh, you know, involves women, but I don't think that it's necessarily... Okay. I I had the idea that it was just any person being murdered during a sexual... Yeah, well, um, that might well be the strict definition. I suppose what I'm getting at, though, is that people are uncomfortable about it, I think, because at least from what I understand, the majority of snuff films are concerned with the killing of women. I think most people are concerned about it just because it's about killing. Um, Yeah, well, that's... No, I don't agree. During sex. During sex. That's the key. Because we see killing... That's what we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, but what I'm worried about, what I'm wondering about here is like what people actually find so objectionable about it that they think that you should be put in a cage for making it. And it's the fact that the killing and the sex are in the same thing or they're inextricably bound. Because I can tell you about hundreds of movies that have both sex and killing. But the sex and the killing has to be sort of part of the same act for people to think that that should be banned. I mean, what is it about it that you think people should be put in a cage for for creating it? Uh, And again, obviously, Pat is talking about uh, the simulated killing of someone. Yeah, you know, of not, uh, Criminal law takes care of yeah. the real killing. So what is it about this sort of snuff phenomenon that you I, I would say, for me, it'd be on the same level as uh, someone taking... 
or, or sorry, writing um, writing stories about uh, pedophilic acts or something like that. As in, it is such a distasteful idea encouraging, you know, horrific acts. Um, and I don't necessarily say, oh, if someone is, uh, you know, uh, filming a scene in which someone pretends to die during a sex act, that they should be put in a cage. That's not the same thing as saying it should be allowed. You can ban something and fine people and, and so on and so forth without, exactly, without you know, throwing them in jail. Hmm. Um, okay, so you would not advocate the censorship being enforced with jail terms. No. You would advocate fines. Because, I mean, there are jail terms for obscenity in the United States. Yeah. You get put in prison for that shit. Um, I actually don't know what the case is in Australia. I wouldn't so know either. So you think that it should only be fines for censorship, all censorship, so any kind of censorship should not be enforced with jail terms? Yeah, I can't think of a... I can't think off the top of my head of uh, a censorship of anything not already covered um, by the criminal law, such yeah. as a... Exhortation to violence, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, that... Uh, shouldn't just be covered by, uh, you know, a fine and a ban that way. So, uh, and I know this might be a slightly uncomfortable topic, but I'm actually fascinated by, like, why is it that you think snuff should be banned rather than movies or, or when movies that have sex and violence aren't banned? Uh, well, for one thing, uh, and using the Gone Girl as an example, yep. that's a two and a bit hour movie mm. um, that has one 10 second scene um, of, uh, of a guy getting killed during a sex act. Like it's clearly not the point of the movie. Um, so you would say primary purpose yeah. test. Primary purpose test. Like no snuff enthusiast is going to go and watch Gone Girl to jerk off in a theatre. I suppose um, not. Um, and so, but you talked before about you're concerned that it might encourage or that it's so distasteful and it's on a topic that might sort of facilitate people committing such crimes or? Well, I mean, and that's, I mean, if someone is watching snuff films and jerking off to it. Yeah. Um, I would say, and it all comes down to elements of risk, like, um, in terms of the sex acts that have been recently banned in the UK, um, you know, someone watching uh, a film of, uh, a, you know, Femdom or something like that yeah. and getting turned on by it yeah. and going and wanting to try that in their own lives. Yeah. No real risk to anyone in there. No. Um, what the fuck are you banning it for? Someone watching a snuff film, simulated or otherwise, yeah. jerking off to it yeah. and thinking... God, I'd like to try that one day. It's like, no, you don't. We, we the, don't yeah. the question is, though, is there a nexus between watching the fantasy and wanting to carry it out in real life? Well, I mean, that's the that's a, and that's an ongoing question about all, a lot of things. In well, video culture, games, video yeah, games. being a great uh, example. And the yeah. video gamers, and I happen to agree with them on this, I mean, there's really no proof that there is a connection between doing the thing during a game. And this is, by the way, I mean, like... A snuff film, arguably, is less offensive than a snuff video game. I mean, say that there was a video game. I, again, would not be against that being distributed. I would not want the government to stop people creating or distributing that. 
not my bag, but who's to say that people shouldn't be able to? I don't see that necessarily there is a nexus between what turns you on in a video and your day-to-day -day activity when what's in the video is unrealistic for one reason or another. So you have weird and wonderful videos out there with dudes climbing into women's giant women's vaginas. I mean, there's just all sorts of weird and wonderful things that people get off on. But that doesn't mean that it's, I mean, arguably, the video provides an outlet for that particular weird fantasy that makes them less likely to try and simulate it in real yeah, life I've, if there's a real life blockage to that thing. I've heard that argument before, um, but I just think for things as, uh, as extreme as enough, fuck it, ban so it. You're basically making just on the, I mean, so it seems then that you're making this judgment like everyone based has, on the extremity of disgust. Yeah, everyone has their own limit on that and that's mine. Yeah, I don't have a limit. I don't. As long as it's not breaking the criminal law in the real world, I say... Yeah, but criminal laws change all the time. Yeah, they do. But, you know, there are various principles in society that have remained current yeah. for a long time. Stealing, murder, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Arguably, criminal laws are becoming more permissive over time, not less. Um... I just, yeah, I don't see the argument for, like, and snuff is a good thought experiment because it is so extreme. And it's interesting that that's kind of the point at which we depart. Again, simulated. Simulated, yeah, obviously. You know, I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. you, you never make that distinction when you say it and it's important that people listening. Yeah, to the best of my understanding, though, like, you know, snuff, generally speaking, is all simulated. And that's actually another really interesting part of that whole thing is that obviously people get off on it more if they think it's real. And so there's this constant effort to blur whether or not the thing actually happened or not, hmm. which is, I suppose, arguably one of the most dangerous things about it, actually. If I was to make the argument against it, which yeah. I wouldn't, the fact that people are doing their level best to make this or make the audience think that this thing actually happened in many cases means that there is a higher chance that people would be encouraged to actually try and fulfill this thing in real life than they normally would if everyone acknowledges that this thing isn't real. That, in my view, is the strongest argument against it. Um, and I find it a fascinating topic because there's just, there are very few things. I mean, I can't think of anything that I would outlaw. And that, frankly, includes materials, pedophilic materials, that are created that don't actually involve the commission of a crime. I am not interested in censoring that. Um, and again, though, you run into this risky area of like, well, people are doing their level best to try and blur the lines there between reality and fiction, and is that something that we should encourage? So... Yeah. You know, I mean, people have tried to ban the book Lolita in the past. Um, yeah, and I mean, that is some graphic shit. Yeah. Have you ever read it? No, I haven't. Um, I, it's a great novel, and I read it, yeah. and I thought that Nabokov was an incredibly good writer, but, I mean, I was worried about the man's sanity. Like, yeah. he was a pretty skew-if kind of dude. Um, so, I mean, that's being banned in Tehran, and, like, it's some pretty graphic shit, and we consider that they are 
cultural philistines for banning such an important work of fiction that has all sorts of funky shit in it. And I guarantee you, the average pedophile is going to get off on Lolita. Guarantee you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I start to, like, get shaky about pedophilic materials that aren't real not being banned. That's getting close to my limit. Yeah. But still on balance, I'm probably in favour of not having governments put people in cages for that. Um. I'm just, I'm terrified. that's where private censorship comes in. Yeah, well, there's a role for private censorship where public censorship doesn't make sense. Yeah. I totally agree with that. That said, you wonder how much private censorship is going to have an impact on accessibility to material when you have the internet. Yeah. Which makes it so much easier to access any material, even if it has been banned. Which brings us back to the original point that uh, Target and Kmart can ban GTA all they like. People who want to play it can still get the game. Absolutely, they can. Yeah, so um, I feel like we covered that topic pretty well. And we're just about up on the hour. And that's a controversial one. So if anyone sort of disagrees with Rod or I on that topic, and I'm probably, as the free speech you're going to uh, You're going to disagree with Pat, and that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Look, in my defence, it is with the best of good faith that I argue for freedom of expression, even in the most extreme circumstances. Um, I, I want crazy people to be able to say disgusting things so that I can say whatever I want. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, so let's leave it there. But if anyone's got any opinions on that, we would love to hear them. Um, mail at patandrodsavetheworld.com. That's mail at patandrodsavetheworld.com. So let's uh, call it a day, dude. All right. Thanks.